Well, just before we start recording, uh, Dr. Jones, I want to say thank you. Uh, you've been uh, a tremendous influence in my life. Um, I, I used to kind of be uh, kind of like uh, like a roosh, you know, like a, a smooth operator yeah. uh, traveling all over the place. But you brought me back to uh, to Mother Church and uh, I'm married now and I have a son. So well, congratulations. Yeah, I've been uh, ever since I came across uh, the Goy's Guide to World History. This was I actually was on to you before before you, you were cool, like before everybody knew you. So I like to brag about it. I was very early E. Michael Jones. That is early on. That is early on. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, before we start, I'd like to say a prayer in Spanish, if that's okay with you. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. Uh, oh, Señor Jesucristo, único Hijo de Dios, tú dijiste con tus labios puros, sin mí no podrás hacer nada. Oh, Señor, oh, Señor, en nuestra fe asumimos tus palabras. Marrodío ante tu benevolencia, ayúdame un pecador para completar a través de ti este trabajo que voy a embarcar. En el nombre del Padre, el Hijo y el Espíritu Santo. Amén. Amén. Well, welcome, Dr. Jones. Uh, hello, everybody. This is, no, this is Noel OG del Rancho. You're on the Pocho Hour today, and we have a special guest, Dr. E. Michael Jones. Uh, in my opinion, the most important scholar and commentator of our times. Uh, Dr. Jones is well known for having been fired from a Catholic women's university for being against abortion during a time of feminist upheaval. He went on to start Fidelity Press and Culture Wars magazine. Some of his best known books are Slaughter of Cities, Baron Metal, The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation as a Form of Political Control, and his latest book, Logos Rising. Dr. Jones, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, as I said to you off camera, I'd like to recognize that you've been a tremendous positive influence in my life, uh, helped me get back uh, to God, even though, you know, I was raised culturally Catholic. Uh, we weren't really practicing Catholics at all. Uh, but initially, I actually tried to argue against your points. Um, I tried my best for about a year to say, you know, this guy's wrong on one way or another, because essentially, you know, the programming has always been anti-religious uh, in this society. But at a certain point, I had to be honest with myself. And I said, I can't, I can't refute what he's presenting. Uh, and during the course of that year, you know, God obviously worked different ways to kind of get, get to me uh, and help me turn my life around. And as I had mentioned to you, I'm, I'm married now and I have a son and, and I'm very grateful to God for that. That's great. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing that with me. You made my day. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad, Dr. Jones. Uh, tell, me, tell me just where you grew up, though. So I grew up in, in Los Angeles, California. My parents are, are Nicaraguan. Uh, my dad actually was born here. So, you know, it's kind of odd to find a Nicaraguan born here so far back, but he was raised in Nicaragua as well. Um, my mom came here uh, basically during the Contra War. Uh, when things got so bad, she came out here. Uh, luckily, you know, she had a brother who lived here uh, and that's where I came from. So I was born and raised in Los Angeles, specifically around Inglewood, California. Um, yeah. And that's kind of my, my story. I mean, luckily my mom was really good at giving me, I guess, a sense of. Hi, Dr. Jones, are you there? Yeah, I'm there. Yeah. I was just, I was just telling Mike, anytime someone says something nice about me, the camera breaks. <laughs> I think they're onto us, Dr. Jones. <laughs> I don't know. That was really weird. That has never, ever happened. Uh, what, where were we? What was the last, well, you were, you were talking about, uh, 
your parents came from Nicaragua and you're growing that's up correct. in Los Angeles. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Um, something happened. Wait a minute. Something happened to your voice now. Okay. Testing right here. Can you hear me? All right. That popped back. Was that okay. you? Or... All right. Go ahead. Okay. okay. Great. Great. Yeah. So um, everything good on my, you can hear me well yeah. now. Yeah. Everything's fine. Great. Great. Yeah. So uh, my parents, um, my dad was actually born here, but he's of Nicaraguan background as well. Uh, as a little boy, he went back to Nicaragua and pretty much spent his childhood and his adolescence there. Then he came back here as an adult. My mom uh, came here after, during the Contra War, basically, when uh, Nicaragua was facing embargoes and a bunch of um, clandestine activity, uh, thanks to Uncle Sam. Uh, she basically fed, fled the country, met my dad, and, and out I came. Uh, my, my mom was very much a product of kind of the Sandinista revolution, even though she's not in support of Daniel Ortega today. Um, you know, she was very much of that generation, um, which, you know, I, I take it you, you were also part of that generation as well. Um, you know, and, and again, I wasn't really raised Catholic culturally, of course. And, you know, we went to Easter mass or something like that once in a while, but I didn't really grow up with religion as a factor in my life. Yes. Yes. Emigration always disrupts people's lives. It's always disruptive. There's, there's no way to get around it. Right. Well, one of the things that my mom did that I do give her credit for is that she gave me a strong sense of, I guess, looking back of an ethnic identity. Um, you know, she really, you know, kind of kept the literature uh, around our house, gave us a sense of history, um, our language, and uh, ever since I was four, I've been traveling to Nicaragua basically every summer as a kid. I would spend it back home with grandparents and aunts and uncles on family yeah. farms. And, and so I, I really got to be exposed to that world as well. And, you know, throughout my life, I've lived there, you know, odd for right. six months to a year at a time, depending, you know, kind of where, where work leads me. This, this was uh, fundamentally different than the European migration. Yeah. Because when, when people, when my grandparents came over, you never went back. You never went back. Yeah. I mean, it was it was dangerous to cross the ocean. It was a big deal. And you came over here and that was that. Whereas the, the people from Mexico or Central America, they can drive down, you know, drive back down. Yeah, it would take a four or six hour flight. And and in this regard, it's a little bit like the uh, the Roman Empire, the end of the Roman Empire with the Goths, mm. you know, except that it's not the Danube. <laughs> It's the Rio Grande, you know what I mean? But but basically, the, the whole principle of assimilation in the Roman Empire was you get a, a guy come over, a few people come over. If they came over from Germany, you'd send them to Syria. You send them as far away as you could from mm -hmm. where they came from. Because at that point, they have to become Romans. They have to learn Latin because they're isolated and that's the only culture they have at that point. Right. So, but uh, when the Goths, they all crossed the Danube River at the same time. And mm. so they had the Gothic Kingdom, and that was the beginning of the end of the Roman Empire. So you're seeing something similar now in, in, in California. I think so. Yeah, I think you're seeing it across the Southwest to uh, various degrees. Could even be argued uh, Miami, you know, the southern tip of Florida. You can see that phenomenon as well. Right, right. Uh, I, I, was, I was in Los Angeles in the 90s mm. uh, giving talks, and at that point, uh, these uh, the Mexican uh, TV channel, local TV channel would come to me and I'd say, look, the crucial issue here is whether you can per preserve your Catholic identity, because that is your ethnic identity in America. 
Yeah, that, that's the triple melting pot. I tried to explain the triple melting pot. And I said, that is going to be under assault. It's clear, you know, and, and here it was, you could see you know, like billboards there, mm. uh, something like uh, hip hop, no S hip hop or something like that, where yeah. what, what's hip hop got to do with Mexicans? What's that got to do with uh, uh, right. Nicaragua? Yeah. So you're trying to you're trying to turn the, the Mexicans into Negroes mm-hmm. as a way of, uh, of assimilating them, pick up that gangbanger culture. Right. Which was in itself a manifestation of migration in America, except mm-hmm. that it was inside America. The, the blacks from Mississippi would go to Chicago and they take the blues up there and they create this kind of gang culture in Chicago. It's still there. It's still there. It hasn't gone away right. after 50, 60 years. So I said, and at that point, you know, I don't know whether they understood what I'm saying. So I have, I have Hispanic relatives. Mm. I mean, not immediate, not close, but I mean, relatives who, you know, joined the prosperity church mm. Mm. because yeah. they, they left Mexico and Mexico, that's was Catholicism back there. I'm going to join the prosperity church because God really wants me to have that BMW. That's what the preacher told me. And I want to have that BMW too. So God and I are on the same wavelength, you know, anyway. No, that's absolutely true. And it touches on uh, what I wanted to to, at some point jump into here, but we might as well touch on it. Um, Essentially what I think you're a hundred percent on point. You saw it coming in the nineties and now it's just, it's metastasized and become real obvious during that same time frame. You had the increasing of the Protestantization of Latin America uh, many countries in Central America, Brazil, uh, even Mexico, though not as great, you you had the rising of Protestant um, sects uh, arise. Uh, but even within the Catholic Church, it's like the values have also kind of become Protestantized, um, unfortunately. Um, and here is, you know, it's very interesting where I find myself now in front of the camera having a conversation with you. It really kind of all hinders and comes together around last year. Because you you hit you hit the nail right on the head when you said that they're trying to kind of Africanize Hispanics, uh, but the phenomenon works two ways. The dialectic works two ways because in the United States you're either black or you're white, and Hispanics aren't either. So we kind of are like the third position in the racial dialectics of this country, and so what I we see a phenomenon that I call the Latinxers. <laughs> which is the Hispanics who like are SJW. They tend to be, uh, you know, um, kind of into racial ide- or, or identity politics, et cetera. And then you have what I call the pickmies, which are Hispanics that try to be white, right? In the traditional American sense who kind of um, want to let go of their Hispanicity uh, and adopt kind of more of an Anglo worldview. You can call it a right. Protestant worldview. Um, and so, we reject both, right? We don't want to fit into the pick me category or the Latinxer category. We want to affirm our heritage and our roots. Uh, you know, overwhelmingly, we're all mestizos, right? We're, we have a, a Spanish paternal line and an indigenous maternal line, and uh, we celebrate both. We don't want to lose our identity. But what happened last year is that you saw how, you know, how Hispanics kind of threw a wrench in in the in the um, upheavals that were going on, uh, you saw Hispanics as a, as a kind of preserving force. So when they were trying to take down statues in New Mexico of, of a Mexican conquistador, it was a Mexican guy who shot a white Antifa guy 
uh, who tried to hit him with a skateboard. Um, what you saw in, in South Chicago, the Mexican and the Puerto Rican gangs like established order in their neighborhoods and didn't let right. they didn't right. they didn't let the black rioters come in. Right. You, you saw the same phenomenon in Portland with another young uh, Hispanic guy. Uh, Hispanics really try to kind of stay away from the fray. Obviously, there was people who were involved, but overall, I think Hispanics showed themselves as not willing to take a knee uh, because they don't suffer from white guilt. No. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it, to us, it seems like there was a domestic dispute, right? Like America is like a biracial couple. You know, it's a black woman and a white man. They're our neighbors and they're fighting amongst each other again. And what what came out into in 2020 was that like we shouldn't get involved. This is a problem between them. We shouldn't choose a side. If anything, we should try to placate. There shouldn't. Hopefully, there is intentions, but we shouldn't allow ourselves to be sucked into the fray because it's not our problem. Um, you know, we obviously do have some African admixture. It depends on the region you're from in Latin America, but you know, our racial ethnogenesis, if you want to call that, worked out. Ex- the opposite of how it worked out in the Anglo world. And it's because of our Catholicism. So this kind of rise in a Hispanic identity or or reaffirming a Hispanic identity, reaffirming our Hispanic roots goes hand in hand with what you're seeing amongst young men of my generation is kind of going back to church, seeing how, seeing how the Catholic church and the, 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 you know, Christ centric worldview of old Europe is what allowed this, uh, what we call mestizaje, right? This mixture of, of these different groups within a very specific matrix and culture um, that, you know, I believe was for the glory of God, unlike what you have today, which is kind of a promotion of kind of a degenerate race mixing where there is no concept of God in the middle of it. There is no concept of logos. It's more just kind of licentiousness and, and right. kind of going, letting go of your lust. Yes. So um, that actually kind of introduces us or or kind of my audience to you, uh, Dr. Jones. Yes. Uh, As I said, in in many instances, the the big issue right now is identity theft. Uh, 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 This is what happened in in St. Louis, another statue battle Mm -hmm. where uh, the the organizer of the the attempt to take down the statue identified these people his opponent says white, not only white, but white supremacist. Right. And then it turns out, well, when you look at them, they're all praying the rosary. Well, do white supremacists pray the rosary? No, it's Catholics. So they had to deprive them of their identity. And white now means bad. So as soon as you're white, you lose the battle. And that was a strategy. I entered into it. And I said, no, this is a Catholic Jewish battle. And at that point, it blew the whole thing up. Mm. All thing got blown up. The statue's still there. He didn't know what to say. I had a debate with him. I entered. I entered it when he challenged me to a debate. The same thing is happening across the board. So I just have. Uh, uh, by the way, I wanted to say that uh, the yeah. Jewish revolutionary spirit is coming out in the Spanish Spanish edition. Oh wow! Uh, it'll be out in Argentina uh, pr- very soon. It's at the printer right now, uh, and uh, I'll send you the link. You can contact the guy in Argentina who who uh, will uh, can tell you about the, the details great, great. Yeah, or great. you can contact me. Uh, but, but uh, so I'm, uh, uh, the other thing is happening is that uh, two of my artic, two of my books, Libido Dominandi and Degenerate Monitors have been translated into, into Portuguese. So they're being, making the rounds in Brazil now. So what, what you see in all of these instances is identity theft. So in, in Brazil, you've got this constant 
pendulum swinging back and forth between socialism and capitalism, yeah. which are basically two Anglo ideologies. These ideologies come from England and Catholics are always being pressured to adopt one or the other of these mm. false identities. The same thing happened here. It's, it's no different here. Uh, the, the ethnic group, uh, you're, you're, there's no way to get around assimilation. If you move here, you're going to assimilate. You just have to. The fact that you speak perfect English right. is a sign that you've assimilated. You know, you, that, that will go. And then we're talking, we're just talking about you now. When your children grow up, that's going to be a completely different situation. You know, and at that point, uh, the only thing that's going to provide cohesiveness for your life is religion. Is, is a, and that is proven historically. So that people, no matter where they come from here, they end up in being Protestants, Catholics, or Jews. And now there are more Muslims, so that's going to figure into the whole thing. Yeah. This, is, this is the identity uh, that you have in America. You don't have another identity. That's it. Uh, what you have as an option are false identities. Right. Identity politics. So, you know, if you're, if geez, I, I stopped going to church. Uh, I, I, that means I'm white. Uh, which is bad, I know, I'll become a homosexual, mm. uh, which is what Pete Buttigieg did, the former mayor of uh, South Bend, Indiana. I mean, I'm not denying, <laughs> I don't want to cast aspersions on him. Uh, I'm sure he is a real homosexual, but the point is there was an identity politics part of this thing too. Right. Because if he didn't come out as a homosexual, what would he be? He'd be a white guy from a small uh, a town in Indiana. Well, that's not going to get you anywhere now. And everyone who comes here is in a sense pressured to succeed and the pressure and you're yeah. always pressured to succeed on their terms the terms of the of the people who are in power it's always been the pressure and and the classic example in this regard was the irish and the germans the irish wanted to assimilate much more avidly than the germans did the germans wanted to have their own culture Germans wanted to be off by themselves, just leave us alone. The Irish wanted to get into politics, move up, that type of thing. That was the classic. So I know this because I'm half Irish and half German. So I have right. multiple personality disorder as a result of that. <laughs> but the fact that I, I am what I am is partially because I'm third generation. Right. And uh, the intermarriage takes place at a certain point. So your son will be third generation. And he will, uh, when he gets married, he'll probably marry within the Catholic group because of your faith, because that's his identity. If he doesn't have an identity, well, he doesn't have an identity. But if he has an identity, the only identity that's available to you in America is that ethnic identity identifying with your religion. Right, right. Well, you know, I think Hispanics, you kind of touched on this where there is an interesting dynamic to Hispanics and uh, Samuel Huntington kind of covered this, um, you know, back in like early 2004. Right, right. Where, you know, and, and you touched on it, we have the ability to kind of go back to the fountains of our identity and kind of replenish our buckets. Right. Unlike the Italians and the Irish and the Germans who had the ocean in the middle of, of right. Of their of and, no, and no airplanes when that happened and no airplanes exactly so it's kind of an interesting moment and uh, you know if you look at the demographics of Hispanics not just in Hispanic America but including in the U.S. we're overwhelmingly a young population we're in our mid twenties whereas your average white American uh, is in his fifties 
So, you know, you have a lot of these things kind of coming in at the same time. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of up for, you know, who knows what exactly the future is going to develop into as far as, you know, my son, and this is kind of where all, all the Hispanic young men or, or my, my audience, my audience goes all over Latin America, uh, and the U S as well. Um, is that we're finding ourselves at this kind of family formation stage. Uh, and, you know, I really encourage the young guys to kind of stop, you know, messing around, wasting their lives and their money and their time and their energy. And they should, they should invest it in a family, you know, that's, Absolutely. That's something that I'm 32 years old. It took me a while um, to do that. But if I can help a younger brother kind of start that cycle a little bit sooner in life, then, you know, I, I feel like my wasted uh, resources won't be so wasted. They would have That's been right. for something. That is, that is the crucial issue right now with this generation. I'm talking from 20 to 30. This yeah. is the time when you have to meet someone and form a family. This is the, the time that it happens. And if you waste your time, uh, with uh, pornography, uh, and then you got uh, student loan debt, you're in a bad situation. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm one of the few people who will address that situation because most people were, they won't even talk about it. It's your yeah. fault. You know, it's your problem. You're lazy or something like that. No, you, it was a trap. Yeah. It's always been a trap in one way or the other, but it was really a vicious trap for this generation because yeah. they grew up with pornography on their cell phones. And that type of thing, this type of access was vicious, a vicious attack on the people to prevent them from forming families, which is your only protection in this world. I mean, uh, naturally, obviously, there's God and his grace will protect you. But he created the family as the vehicle of your protection, not just you and your children. Right. That's why it's there. And that's why they're trying to break it up and turn these people into robots, individual yeah. And, and, and you see how really they focus in on fertility rates. I mean, in Africa, you can see that there's a lot of nefarious things going on around, uh, you know, the V word or, you know, women's rights or girls education. This is how the NGOs sell it. But really, the aim is to uh, push down fertility rates. And you saw this happen in Latin America. We went from, you know, five or six, 30, 40 years ago to we're just barely above replacement rates. Some countries are actually uh, significantly below replacement rate, but overall we're kind of at the cusp. So really the millennial and Zoomer generation finds themselves, do we want to go the way of the Irish, the Germans and the Italians who and one of the things that I point out is what I call like kind of alchemy. You know, there's a tradition of kind of this Anglo alchemy where it's like, you know, you sold your soul for riches type of thing. It's kind of what we as Hispanics see what happened to the Irish and the Italians and the Germans when they became white. They went from having an ethnic identity to having this, you know, vague color, quote unquote, right. show identity. Right. What, so, is a white, what is a white guy? A white guy is a Protestant who doesn't go to church anymore. Yeah, I've, I've, I've stated right. this repeatedly. When you lose your religion, you lose your identity. Right. And when you lose your identity, they put an identity on you. Yeah, you become. That's exactly what happens. So I keep trying to tell these white guys. I keep trying to say, look, I'm not white. OK, I'm biracial. Right. I'm Irish and German. That's not my identity. You're trying to put this identity on me and it doesn't fit. And, and on top of that, I'm not going to put it on myself. I'm not stupid. I understand what happened. In Charlottesville, mm. okay, where you yeah. show up and you're going to show them, and we white guys, they got they they marched into the cannons and they all got slaughtered. They right. walked into a trap what, uh, without any understanding of what was going on. But now we know we're smarter. 
We're smarter yeah. now than we were then. And they're they're trying they're trying very hard to racial because you see uh, his, the Hispanic identity is an ethnic identity. It's not a racial identity. You know, there might be some racial component too, but it's it's more of a of an ethnicity. Um, but they're trying very hard to racialize us down there and here. Uh, you have the rise of this identity called Afro Latino, which is basically you know these triracial mulattoes being forced into the American racial dialectics, or you see the rise of kind of this indigenous identity where you have these Indians with green eyes and dirty blonde hair, all of a sudden they're Aztecs and Mayans. And, you know, part of what's been the process for us is that we've been, we've been forced to go through our history, our 500 years of, of history, right? 300 years as part of the Spanish empire, 200 years as these uh, republics. And in that kind of process of self-discovery, you see the, you see how the black legend was used, not just by, you know, Spain's competitors, you know, uh, whether it be the English or the French or the Dutch, but by our own, quote unquote, criollo elites who kind of uh, fomented these independence movements because right. they had a vested interest in making the previous regime look bad right. in order to legitimize their new, their, their new establishment. Yeah. And um, so, you know, and you've seen this movement kind of happen throughout Latin America. Uh, it's been happening for decades, really, mostly in academia, but now it's starting to come into the popular culture where people are really discovering all these lies that we were told about the Spanish empire, you right. know, the impression of the, the inquisitor coming to torture you uh, of how the, the Indians were slaughtered and raped in mass. And it really leads to this kind of, you know, ethnic schizophrenia or psychosis that Hispanics suffer from where we essentially believe that we descend from rapists and rape victims. Yes. So we have this weird chip in our shoulders where we can't seem to harmonize both our Spanish identity and our native identity. And, and for me, it, you know, it, this all worked out together when me kind of coming back to Christ and realizing that in a way, Christ by being fully God and fully man is, is something of a spiritual mestizo, right? In his hypostasis, there is no dialectical tension between, uh, you know, That's him right. and being That's God. Right. That's right. I, I came to this realization when I was in Mexico, hmm. I was in Guadalajara, um, uh, it, it was it was it was kind of strange because we're celebrating a guy down there who wrote a biography of uh, Hitler mm. and thought Hitler should have won World War Two. Uh, and so, OK, I, I think I'm in with Nazis here. But then at the end of every talk, they all stand up and say, Viva Cristo Rey. Yeah. So wait a minute. No, we're not Nazis. We're Cristeros. Uh, and Cristeros were fighting against the Masonic tyranny uh, that had been imposed on Mexico by the Anglosphere. Yes. Uh, so uh, what's going I'm, I'm puzzled. So I just go to church and I'm sitting there in church and there's the, the image of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I suddenly realized this is what created the Mexican nation. This yeah. is what created this nation. It was, it was an act of God. It was like the supernatural intervention into this world here. And this lady, uh, the queen of heaven, looks like a mestiza. Yeah. Because this is the destiny of the uh, Mexican people. It was this merger, this this merger in love of Spaniards and Indians. Yeah. They come yeah. together uh, in a way that it created an entire Mexican race. And they're living in harmony until this Masonic hegemony gets imposed on them. And then they, the rulers suddenly don't identify with their own people. 
Yeah. This, this is exactly the position we're in right now. You got a whole world where the government is at war with its own people. And they have their allegiance is not to the people that represent, but to some oligarch somewhere who's paying their bills. That's why the, the this kind of Mexican uh, Masonic uh, experience is so important. Yeah. And, and the roots of that come from the independence movements. You know, these guys, you know, Simon Bolivar's and, and the like, they were they were influenced by the French and the Anglo fashions of the time. They yeah. saw what the French did. Yeah. They saw what the Americans did and they wanted a piece of the pie. That's right. Uh, That's and, right. It, and in that, we threw away, you know, in a sense, our preeminence. You know, the Spanish Empire was the preeminent power financially, economically, culturally, militarily for 300 years, you know, uh, much longer, uh, 100 years longer than what we've existed as these republics. Uh, and so it's like we're coming to terms with that reality. And, you know, so many things are tied into it, uh, you know, kind of the Anglo ideology, liberalism, uh, seeing how masonry played a role, uh, you know, anti-Catholicism, the black legend, uh, you know, sexual degeneration as a form yes. of political control. All these things are tied in together as men of my generation are coming to age and saying, again, do we want to go the the way that happened to these people who lost their ethnic identity and now, you know, are either, you know, bowing the knee to, uh, you know, I guess African-Americans for, for crimes their ancestors didn't even commit because they, they weren't English? Um, or do we want to preserve that which God granted us, you know, in, in, in the, in the example of, uh, La Virgen de Guadalupe, you know, coming into the new Spain, right? I mean, it was the new Spain. It was it was Spain 2.0 was uh, and Mexico City was the center of the empire de facto. I mean, you know, when you look at the galleon trade, everything in from the east went through Mexico before going to Europe. Um, right. right. And, the English knew that, too. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I had that's why I had they had pirates like Sir Francis Drake show up there you know, and become looter, looters and pirates. That's and they, 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 they have been a, had a predatory influence on the Catholic sphere ever since the war between England and Spain over who was going to rule the world. Sure, sure. This is, there's, there's, a good, there's a good movie I, I saw on Bolivar, and Bolivar is leading one revolution after another, and there's always, always an Englishman in the background. <laughs> and finally, so he's always helping them out. And finally, Bolivar takes over Colombia or Venezuela or one of these places. And the Englishman said, this is great. We're glad you did this. Uh, we'd like to ask you for a favor. Uh, we want to create a bank. And suddenly Bolivar goes, oh, wait a minute. Uh, I'm not sure I like this idea. And then the Englishman pursues it. And then finally, uh, no, Bolivar says, no, no bank. Well, guess what? Now the Englishman is giving weapons to the other side and they're fighting Bolivar. Yep. This is the type of it happened over and over and over again. And these people are ignorant of their own past. We could have had an alternative uh, to capitalism yes. and slavery. Yes. If the Jesuit experiments in Paraguay, the, the Jesuit reductions in Paraguay had been allowed to succeed and then to spread. They did succeed. There's no question that they did right, succeed right, right. With it, within a generation they had those, uh, the Guarani were making musical instruments uh, right. after having been savages in, in the forest and spending all their time getting drunk. 
Right. This was an enormous step forward, and they were profiting from the work of their own hands, and the Freemasons entered it and destroyed it. It yes. was it was the Marquis de Pombal, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the, the, the Portuguese Portugal. minister. Yeah. And these were all people who had been baptized Catholic, but had gone over to the dark side uh, through Freemasonry. Now, these people, who knows this? Who knows this now? I mean, this is why I wrote Baron Metal, because there's a whole chapter in Baron Metal on that story. Hmm. But the, the point is, so if flash forward, I'm in Argentina, I'm in Buenos Aires, and there's a statue, a kind of tribute to the Hispanic uh, heritage of Argentina, yeah. and it's, it's uh, conquistadors and it's Franciscans. Hmm. And they got their hands cut off, which is kind of like a Masonic uh, attack on the, the heritage. Oh, wow. And, and then you flash forward and there are the church. You can, it's probably still up on you to bare breasted women. Yes. Uh, charging the cathedral, uh, uh, wherever it was, Buenos Aires. I think it was another. But anyway, you can see it. What got into these women? What happened here? Uh, what 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 was the, the the vehicle here? How do you get? Uh, and then you got these women cheering in Argentina because they struck down their abortion law. What got into these women? It was sexual liberation. This goes all the way back to the basic understanding that the Greeks had, that Euripides had in the Bacchae. Uh, as soon as the women leave their looms, the city's going to fall. And they, how do you get the women to leave their womb, looms? By infecting them with sexual liberation, mm -hmm. birth control, abortion, corrupting their morals, and then turning them into proxy warriors for the agenda that's going to enslave them. This is not just South America. Exactly the same thing happened in Ireland. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Ireland, a Catholic country, and there you have women cheering because they have the right to kill their children. What happened here? What happened here? It was sexual subversion. That's the thin end of the wedge. That's how they get in. That's how they destroy your identity. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, you know, again, we're, we, this generation, the millennials and the Zoomers, you know, of, of Hispanic background in the United States, it's like we're slowly kind of coming to terms with this reality. And, uh, you know, Thanking God that I feel like it's not too late. We we can turn it around. We we can, you know, obviously in the cities of Argentina and in Mexico, Chile and Colombia, you're seeing these upheavals, but there's still countries that are you know fighting back against feminism or or LGBT and. Uh, but the reality is that the United States government, you know, it's a matter of policy. The the State Department, the embassies down there are pushing these movements, you know, there's NGOs That's right. who are hiring people to go and create some kind of a black identity out of Nicaraguans who happen to have, you know, a African admixture, you know, where, you know, in, in Latin America, we, we don't have a racial identity. We believe we're all the same race. I don't th look, I, I want to cut to the chase here. I yeah. don't think anybody has a racial identity. Yeah, that's true. Okay, I'm I'm going to on Saturday, I'm going to be giving the keynote address for a conference in Nairobi. You know, I was in Nairobi two years ago and I was in Nairobi 17 years ago. And I can tell you from firsthand experience that Africans are not black because black is an ideology. Every bit mm. as much as white is an ideology. Absolutely. So if I'm not white. I'm not white and they're not black. And what is what is the the uh, the thing that allows us to talk? 
what is this thing that allows this Mzungu to talk to these people? It's Catholicism. It's that simple. Mm-hmm. There are nuns there, heroic nuns, who are living in absolutely appalling conditions in northern Kenya, where there's it's just awful there. It's 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 dry. It's it's, <laughs> it's either it's either no rain or it floods. It's hard to grow anything. They're being attacked by Muslim bandits who come across the border from you know, from Somalia. Why? I've always think all of these heroic African nuns. Why are they doing this? Because some woman from Ireland came and uh, brought the faith mm. and created a religious order, and they are now part of that order. They were inspired by this woman from Ireland. So where does race fit into this whole thing? It doesn't. Mm. It doesn't. And it doesn't have anything to do with the ethnic identity of the people in any of these countries. Ethnic identity is based on language. That's the simplest definition. That's what it is in the state of nature. We are in a different situation in the United States because we all come from someplace else and we all adopt the English language to get along here. Okay. The difference is there. It's like, what was the difference between the Goths? and other groups. There were so many of them, they did not assimilate. Right. That's exactly, that's what Huntington was afraid of yes, in yes. that book called The Hispanic Challenge. Right. I read that-, that book. I gave talks on it when I was in Los Angeles in the 90s, because that's when it came out. I was talking to them about that. You know, this the difference is uh, there are so many of you. Yeah. And and you can drive back to where you visit your grandparents. And, 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 you know, and here in California, the, the, the place names, you know, Los, Los Angeles, San Diego, like it's impossible to get away from the, the, the Hispanic Catholic history. I mean, you know, the missions are still standing. They want to burn them down, but they're still here. So it's, it's, it's impossible for us to get away from that history or that knowledge of ourselves here. You know, it's, it's different. It's not impossible. And the recipe is sexual liberation. That's right. If you corrupt the morals of, especially the women, if you corrupt the morals of the women, they're going to be right. They'll go crazy. And you'll end up like Argentina where these bare breasted women want to burn the Catholic church down because they're obsessed with their sins. Yes, and, and they can't repent. And so therefore, they're going to destroy the world that makes them unhappy. That's what's going. It's a very simple recipe. Yeah. They were uh, they, they, these are uh, demonic geniuses who came up with it. It's described in detail in my book, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. That's the main threat. Yeah, and, and, it, and it's, and it's happening. It's definitely happening when, when, you know, kind of speaking to you of of this cohort of, of Hispanics in the U S males, but the women, definitely, you can see it. You know, we, we call ourselves pochos. It's, it's kind of like the term that Mexicans make for Mexicans from the U S they call them pochos. Right. So, you know, you kind of have this rise of these pochos here and the pocha women are, you know, again, especially if they're college educated, like forget it. They, they hate their Spanish heritage. They hate, you know, this is the typical story. You have a Mexican farmer who lost his farm thanks to NAFTA, comes out here to become a day laborer or, or, you know, join the trades of some sort. He works two jobs to be able to support his family, you know, give his children education. His daughter goes to college, comes back with purple hair and hates everything, (laughs) (laughs) everything that her father stands for. Look, this is the Catholic experience. This is not new. This is exactly what happens when you go to Notre Dame. Yeah, this is exact. And it's worse in a place like Notre Dame because they claim to be Catholic 
<laughs> and then they turn you over into a sex robot and a wage slave. And you're and you kind of I've gone through generations of Catholic parents saying, What what happened here? I sent my child to Notre Dame and now he doesn't go to church anymore. Well, duh, you know, where were you? Why weren't you listening to the people who understood what was going on here? This is clear, clear. Education is dangerous. It's not only is it dangerous, it's a waste of time. The topic, okay, to get back to topic, guess what topic I'm discussing in Nairobi? Mm -hmm. Is it worth it to get a university education? That's the topic I'm supposed to discuss there. Sure. It's indoctrinization, you know, and it again, if you if you take any Latin American studies and again, who was behind Latin American studies? It was, you know, people involved in the CIA. If you study the, the history of it and, and indigenous. That's, ex that's exactly what happened in Chile. Chile took oh, the CIA took over the Catholic University. The public university said, no, we're not going to let you guys in. The CIA took it over and they turned it into basically the Chicago boys. So yeah. Mil Milton Friedman's. Uh, uh, clones down there to convert Chile to capitalism and then bring in So bring in Jeffrey Sachs and we'll wreck the economy as well. Thanks. Thanks for nothing. And to generate the culture. I mean, Chile is one of the, you know, one of the, the, the vanguard of this, you know, alchemy, you know, of losing in a sense, your, the, the, the Catholic Hispanic identity and giving into, you know, this capitalist consumerist identity. And there's no, there's no surprise that, you know, countries like Chile are, are at the forefront of feminism and church burning and St. You know, statues destruction. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a sad moment down there. Uh, but I wanted to highlight a bit, you know, to kind of twist the conversation a bit into logos because, one of the things that uh, I guess has kind of, you know, propelled a lot of my audience to to find me is I put forth a way to kind of define, you know, a Hispanic identity in in the Americas. Uh, the first three by three roots. The first root is Cristo Rey, which you know is Logos incarnate. It's at the center of our identity. Without it, we don't exist. It's what it's what married our Spanish dad with our Indian mother. Um. And then the second route is our Spanish language, la lengua española, right? It's our paternal route. It's kind of this legacy of, of what, you know, the Spanish civilization was, which is really the old European Catholic civilization. Uh, and the third route being mestizaje, which is our maternal route. And, you know, our, 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 our second route, the, the Spanish language, is what makes all the countries in Latin America the same. But our third route, el mestizaje, is what allows us to be different. So, you know, the mestizaje of the Central Mexican Valley is different from the Dominican Republic. It's different from Nicaragua. It's different from Argentina. Um, you had different, you know, mixtures of people in Argentina. You had uh, mixtures between different Europeans, you know. Um, but again, that allows us to be different. The first route allows us to be the same and kind of have some kind of a united cultural civilizational identity. Um, but again, the first thing is Logos, is Logos incarnate, is Cristo Rey. So I wanted to ask you, for the audience who, who's been wrestling with this concept, what is Logos? Um, and what does that have to do with Jesus Christ? Logos is the Greek word for word. It also, the reason I keep using the word Logos is that uh, it has so many meanings that simply do not get expressed in any other word, in any other language. Uh, I, I learned this when I was studying Greek. You look into the Greek dictionary, it's column after column of words that can be, you have to use all these different words in English just to use that, that one word. 
so so this is part of the emergence of a consciousness in the world that took place in the eighth century BC, where suddenly people are starting to realize there's an order to the universe. Uh, but what is it? And so they first uh, Thales said it's water. You know, you need water to survive. And then Anaxagoras said it was air and Heraclitus said it was fire. But Heraclitus started to realize it's not anything material. It's spiritual. It's, it's intellectual. It's a form. It's kind of like a formula. Pythagoras said it was numbers. Well, that comes close because they're really abstract, but that's not what it is. And so they had this centuries long meditation on this idea of, of, of logos. Like, what does it mean? And then uh, uh, the, the philosophy reached an impasse where Plato's idea of God didn't fit in with Aristotle's idea of God. And then that just lay fallow. And there were people who were trying to save themselves through Platonism and suddenly Jesus Christ appeared on this earth. And that was the changing point in history. Okay, the turning point in history. The turning point at that point was you had uh, the Hebrew people who now uh, had a choice and they chose either Logos as God started or they chose their own fantasies, which is what most of the Jews did. They chose revolutionary fantasies and that's the story of the Jewish revolutionary spirit. Yeah. But uh, uh, at this point, uh, the Jews after Christ, St. Paul, it goes, he only went to synagogues. And at a certain point, the synagogues are going to expel them. Can't talk in synagogues. And he gets a dream. And there's a Greek kind of beckoning from across the Aegean. And he goes to Greece. And he gives a speech at the Areopagus. And it bombs. Because he gave the wrong speech. He gave the Ephesus speech and talked to them as if they were idol worshipers. And they were philosophers. The Ephesus was full of idol worshipers. That, that, that was, and I think the man who knew this was St. John, who was in Ephesus. And so when he wrote his gospel, he, he, he had to use the word logos. In the beginning, in arche and ha logos. In the beginning, there was logos, kai logos and prostheon, and logos was with God, kai logos and theos, and logos is God. And at that point, that whole Greek tradition took on a new life because now it wasn't just a principle, it was a human being. And it was the log, the second person of the Blessed Trinity. And this was a being who could say it. And it happened. Because that's what God does. When he says it, it happens. When you say it, okay, you just said it, so what? But when he says it, it happens. And that's the, 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 the point of history at that moment becomes a more and more refined understanding of Logos. So it's the Trinity. And then uh, they understood that. They finally put that concept together. And then it became a more and more refined understanding of the universe, which became science. And then science went off by itself and turned into anti-Logos, which is what we have right now. The COVID lockdown is basically science used as anti-Logos, you know, as an authority to beat you over the head. Right. At this point, the main, the main uh, manifestation of Logos is speech. And that is determinative of your, of your identity. You, you learn speech from your mother. It's called, the Germans call it the Muttersprache, the mother language. You learn speech from your mother. That's where you get your ethnic identity. That's where you get your thought patterns. And that becomes ethnicity. Okay. Now, in a normal situation, like Africa, or let's say, let's say the Amazon rainforest. Yeah. 
you've got the Yanomami, okay? And they speak Yanomami. And their word for Yanomamo is the same thing for human being. And the people who live on the other side of the river are known as the, the scum who eat rattlesnake dung for breakfast. Right. That's, that's what Apache means in Navajo or something like that. You know what I mean? Right. Well, that's not going to work. Okay. It's not going to work. You have to have some type of lingua franca here. And that's precisely what the church provided in Europe because you had all those people in Europe. You didn't have Germany. You had Suevi, you had Grauthungi, and, and if, they, if it weren't for the Romans, they'd be killing each other. Right. And, that was, and because the church was the vehicle of Logos, and because the church provided this lingua franca, Europe developed in ways that no place ever developed before, and Europe spread out through the entire world to the Americas. Yeah. And you got either the English version, the Protestant version of Europe, or you got the Catholic Spanish version, but you got Europe at some point or other. And now we have reached the point where you have this kind of global consciousness, global consciousness uh, that is never going to go back again. And we're talking to each other all over the world. So, okay. And we all speak English. That's good. That's good because we all can speak the same language and talk to each other. But what are we going to talk about? What is it just going to be, you know, I'll take three of them and how much does it cost? Right. Or do we have some type of, well, the, the, the answer is it's Logos, because there is a philosophical explanation that will allow for the peaceful unification of the entire race based on the fact that we are creatures of Logos. That, that was the reason I wrote this book, because yeah. I've been traveling all around the world uh, to people uh, in all different sorts of circumstances and I realized, what, what is the fundamental thing that we have to say here? You know, I'm, I'm on YouTube and, and, and talking to an Indian, you know, I'm, uh, uh, and I, I said there, you know, Logos died in India. Well, he's upset when, I hear, when he hears that. You know, what do you mean by that? So I tried to explain it to him, and then it came down to, you know, well, what's, what, it was the symbol of the cosmos, the Indian symbol of the cosmos, there's a semi, uh, the earth is a semicircle. It's sitting on four elephants and four elephants are standing on a turtle. So I said to the guy, what's the turtle standing on? And he couldn't answer that question. As a result, he became a Catholic because of that simple type of, of discussion based on Logos. That's the point that we have reached in the world right now. And it's not a question of either or. The Catholic Church has always been able to allow ethnic identity in combination with some type of universal structure known as the church that will allow all of these different ethnic groups to get along with each other and yet without losing their identity. That's Europe, right. Europe is a tribute to that, you know, and now the whole thing is under assault. And the main reason that it's succeeding is because of the American subversion of sexual morality. That's the main form of control <clears throat> that is, uh, uh, that has led us to this point. And I think it's the main thing that's being exposed now. Yes. And I, in my, I, I don't want to blow my own horn, but I think I had something to do with this because I was in Poland when the Polish edition of Libido Dominandi came out. I said, uh, you know, if you believe in gay marriage, you're a traitor to the Polish people and you should be treated as such. And that word got out and Poland has never given in to gay marriage and they're heading in the other direction. The fact that they did not give in to gay marriage 
means that they are now in the forefront of protecting free speech by not allowing deplatforming. This is the type of resistance that you can expect from a Catholic culture. And this is why Catholic cultures are under attack throughout the world. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when you said how the Catholic Church preserved culture, I mean, you saw this in the Spanish Empire, you know, all the Indian languages were preserved. You know, one of the issues that the empire had was that a lot of its soldiers didn't speak Spanish. They spoke Nahua and they spoke Quechua, you know, and uh, there was no uh, worse attack on the indigenous groups than came uh, after the republics. The republics selling them the we're all equal thing took away all their special rights and privileges. You know, right. the, the Indians weren't allowed they had their own court systems. They had their own uh, judicial representative systems. Uh, but once the republics came in, all that went away and all their lands that were protected under the crown were taken away from them. Um, and, you know, the, the, that's really the big injustice that doesn't even get spoken about. Um, speaking. No, that's that's weak history. Yeah, that's <laughs> weak history. Uh, and the opposite is the black legend. You know, so weak history. When you speak English, the natural tendency is to adopt English forms of thought. And I, exactly. you know, in a sense, I've spent my whole life uh, objecting to this because I'm not English. Because you're you Catholic. I, I, I'm Catholic and I'm Irish and German. And where does the English come in? So I don't have to adopt those thought patterns. You know, that, right. that's, that's been, that, that's been what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the only sane way you know, to, to, battle uh this kind of uh alchemical beast that you know sells you pleasure and takes away you know your your autonomy as a human being that's right um that's exactly the point yeah and and, you know speaking to bring it back the conversation a bit into nicaragua is that nicaragua is one of the few countries where abortion's illegal across the board and uh even in cases of rape. And uh, if, you know, there's been cases of uh, clandestine uh, abortion clinics and the doctors disappeared, you know, somebody made them disappear. Uh, Also, there's no gay marriage or or any recognition of that. Though, again, they're trying. And you have uh, countries, you know, like Costa Rica that just legalized gay marriage. Um, So you you also see how they tried a color revolution in in 2018, which failed. So, you know, I see it. It's kind of a strange situation because what's happening in Nicaragua is that the the Catholic clergy who's influential is that they're actually pushing for feminism. They're actually pushing for this kind of Americanist liberal value ideology. And the socialist commies, the Sandinistas, are the ones being more traditional and conservative. Yeah, this this is happening across the board. Yeah. What, what you had was a redefinition of Marxism. Yeah. Uh, and it's no longer concerned with economic uh, uh, justice. It's less sexual liberation. Right. The man who's responsible for this is Michel Foucault. Michel Foucault was a homosexual. He's raised a Catholic. He became a homosexual. That became his identity. He is in rebellion against Logos because he's a homosexual. And he shows up in the United States and suddenly... He sees the possibility, okay? And he, he makes his pact with the devil, which is basically, if you give me uh, unlimited sexual revolution, I won't ask for a raise. I won't complain about the economic situation. So I have a, a guy like uh, uh, my buddy, uh, David Hawks, 
who is a kind of classical Marxist who just wrote a book uh, about anti-Logos, uh, in which he's saying basically that the classical Marxists have been pushed aside. They have no, uh, they've been robbed of their identity. So it'd be interesting to talk about uh, Sandinismo yeah. in this regard. You know, we're talking about a couple generations now uh, away from that whole, that whole uh, 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 civil war right. that, took, that took place in Nicaragua. And then the, the kind of reconciliation that followed, which I think was based on Catholic principles. Totally. 100%. 100%. I mean, the Sandinistas now frame themselves as uh, solidarity, Christianity, and uh, I forget, nationalism or something like that. I mean, it's the Sandinistas um, of today are more traditional. <laughs> and then you've had a lot of the clergy, unfortunately, become more of this new wave of Marxists, uh, or at least espouse to that. And I don't know right. if, if it's tied to, you know, some of the um, the parishioners, but you see it. I mean, the, the people who are pushing against the Sandinista regime, and I'm not necessarily Sandinista myself, you know, I do recognize what is done good, and I do recognize what's done bad. But um, you know, you see how the it's again, it's girls, it's it's women and girls who I feel like are using Daniel Ortega and the Sanisa as like a um, a scapegoat. And in it there, it's like an effigy they want to burn of masculine authority of the church of, you know, patriarchy of all the things that the contemporary Anglo-sized mind or worldview, if you want to call it, that tells us is bad. Right. Well, look, the problem in the problem in the United States is Americanism. Yes, it's Americanism. You have the Catholic Church identifying in a very unhealthy way with the American regime as early as the 1890s. That's when this uh, Leo the 13th issued this encyclical condemning Americanism. And at that point, it was like, well, you know, democracy and blah, 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 you know. Well, it's gotten much worse. But the point here is that it's as opposed to, let's say, liberation theology. Yeah. Okay, where you have a kind of Marxist content that is pretty much frozen in time. And then it became outdated, as you just mentioned, when you have the neo, neo this neo-left whatever thing, the Foucauldian version of left-wing revolution, which then all focused on sexual issues and left the classical Marxists out in the cold. That's not what happened in America because these priests, like say the Catholic priests, like the Holy Cross Order at Notre Dame, that's always been a hotbed of Americanism, but it means that they have no state static ideology. They just do what the American regime wants. And so in the 50s, it was anti-communism. I'd pray the rosary to defeat communism. And now it's gender ideology. Whatever the American regime wants, that's what they're doing. And so it becomes a very destructive operation and, and also hard to pin down. Yeah. And, 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 and you're always finding people who are involved in fighting uh, the battles of the last war. You know, like the classic example being, well, there's com it's communism. No, it's not communism. Right. <laughs> it's worse than communism. It's, it's an attack on essence. It's a much worse thing because you're, you're attacking the idea of essence when it comes to sexuality. And you're saying, uh, I can be whatever I want to be. 
And so, uh, so some fat Jew from Pennsylvania can tell us he's a woman and we're supposed to take it seriously. And then he gets hired to talk to us about health and we're not allowed to say anything. You know, sorry, uh, I'm not going to go along with that. Yes, yes. And so, you know, this is this is kind of like the 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 moment in the road where we're finding ourselves, the crossroads. Um, where do we want to go? With Logos. <laughs> Absolutely. With Logos and the cutting edge of Logos in human history is the Catholic Church. And it's been that way ever since John wrote his gospel in Greek and adopted the categories of Greek theology, Greek philosophy, and baptized them or redeemed them or brought them up to a higher level. That's what it is now. That's what it is. And, and so what you saw, uh, I mean, just to get back to my, what I'm talking about in Kenya, okay? So at a certain point, the church created the university to aid itself aid the church in its mission. And you had something like the University of Paris with St. Thomas Aquinas and, and so on and so forth. Big help, the Dominicans and the, the Franciscans, the mendicant orders, great help. But at a certain point, the university became the anti-Logos, the vehicle of anti-Logos, which is what it is today. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're, well, you know, don't go. Don't pay to have your children, the morals of your children corrupted because they're not going to learn what they're supposed to learn anyway, and they won't have debt, uh, uh, and you won't have debt. And so just, uh, you know, do something else. Do something else. Yeah, and you're seeing that a lot. Uh, And again, it's you see the difference in the sexes. Among Hispanic men, you're seeing that college attendance isn't as high. They're going into trades. They're going into unions. They're starting their own businesses. Uh, And that's really the the bulk of the audience here. Um, so, you know, that's, that's, that's what happens. My, in my family, yeah. I am the oldest of all of my cousins. And uh, I was talking to the youngest of all of my cousins. And he said, I, I and his brother, his oldest brother went into academe. And suddenly we realized, Hey, we can't, we don't, we don't, we're not welcome. And so he never tried it. And he went, he went to wall street and he made a ton of money, a lot more money than I ever made. Right. You know, but the other point was that uh, these guys all migrated to things like computers and then computers got really big. And so they keep, it's a, a powerful force that will show up because they're blocked from certain things. So people like me, well, I was, I was kicked out of academe 40 years ago. Right. You think it's, you think it's gotten better? Right. The, uh, but as I've said many times, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I wouldn't be talking to you right now about books like Logos Rising if right. I had stayed in academe because I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. You can't do that. You cannot talk about Logos in academe. I guarantee you, you cannot. Right, right. Um, I have a couple questions for you, Dr. Jones, that some of the audience sent in. Um, let me ask you. Do you have any recommendations, and you, I think you've touched on it, but do you have any specific recommendations for young Hispanos growing up in the U.S. Who, who want to best retain our religion and our ethnic identity instead of becoming Americans? Yes, the Catholic Church, a parish. You have, you have the advantage of the ethnic parish, the ethnic neighborhood. Yes. You've got, you have that advantage. That was, that was what was destroyed in places like Chicago. The blacks were used as proxy warriors to come up and drive those people out of their neighborhoods and turn them into white people who lived in the suburbs and watched television. You can learn from that and realize that you have solidarity means 
shared experience in a local community speaking the same language. That's that's the key to preserving your 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 uh, your ethnic identity, and you have all of the wherewithal. All you have to do is make sure that you don't you you keep your children out away from the toxic culture, which is not as easy. I, it was easy for me because all I said was, "Okay, I'm never going to have a television." And 40 years ago or 50 years ago, that was simple. Just don't bring the television. Now you have to have a computer. Now your computer is full of pornography. It's just, it's much more difficult, but you, that's, you have to do that. And the main th way you can do that is through local community. So just to get, I mean, to get personal here, uh, the, the youngest, my youngest three children were homeschooled, yeah. but they all, they all, after homeschooling, they could go to the ballet. And it was a good outlet. It was local people, you know, it was local, a cultural thing. It was exercise. It was a really good idea. And it was, it, it helped them get through that difficult adolescent period. That's the type of thing I'm recommending. I, I said this to a group of people in Cincinnati, they were coming to a Latin mass uh, at old St. Mary's and over the Rhine, which used to be a German neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, I said, look, you're not a community. You come from a 50 mile radius to go to a Latin mass and then you all go back home and that's not a community, that's a club. And, and, and the club is like, you know, stamp collectors. I mean, it's nice to have a club, but it's not a community. You have to move into this community. Well, they were afraid. They were afraid because everyone there had some type of horror story about black migration. You know, like my grandfather got robbed and somebody sure. did this, that, and the other thing. I said, well, yeah, okay, that's, that's life. Uh, fear is useless. What is needed is love. Uh, right. But they didn't listen to me. And now you can't do it because it's been gentrified. You could have gotten in 30 years ago. They could have gotten in on the ground floor, brought up property, fixed it up, and they'd all be millionaires now because of the property. But they didn't do it because of fear. Right. Fear is useless. What is needed is love. So I'm just at one instance, I was there. Uh, we went to the fireworks display. It was like a Mogadishu and Black Hawk Down. There wasn't enough room in the van, so I had to walk through over the Rhine in the dark. And there are all these black people hanging out. And I'm talking to my son about urban renewal. And I suddenly realized this black woman's walking next to me, making fun of me. So I said to her, are you, are you a, a, an expert on urban renewal? And she said to me, no, are you? And I said, yeah, I am. And the other woman said, you are? And then we had a conversation that we never would have had <laughs> if we hadn't been on the sidewalk together. Yeah. You, you see what I'm saying? This is absolutely crucial. You have to have a community of shared geographical space and it's gotta have some type of focus. And that is why the Catholic church is there to provide the values that will focus the community. Do you have any recommendations for us on how to kind of, I guess, gain more influence within like, how do we do that? Do we like found monasteries? Do we create seminaries? How do we, you know, say, hey, we need a church here? You know, the, the, the parish around here is ran a certain way and there's very little influence that, you know, who I'll, I'll be able to have. Do we need to like start new churches and get new clergy? You know, it's there's like a generational challenge here. Everything changes. Every, everything changes over time. It doesn't seem to, but it does. Uh, the, 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 the main issue is unity. And we are in a crisis situation now, largely because of Catholic Jewish dialogue. The Jews have divided the Catholic community. 
Yeah. And they now have veto power of who gets named to be a saint. And it's just a terrible situation. You can't have good relations with the Jews and have unity in the Catholic Church. That, that's one example. You have to have some type of unity of uh, mind and heart, which means you have to uh, follow the gospel and the priest has to proclaim the gospel. If the priest is proclaiming the gospel according to America, according to America Magazine, according to James Martin, according to any other these people, he's not proclaiming the gospel and you're going to have disunity. So, I mean, as I don't, I don't know your situation now. I mean, no. I don't know. I mean, you say there are lots of Hispanic people in California now, you know, well, that means they're going to have their own ethnic neighborhoods, which yeah. means, so, and that doesn't necessarily mean anything because ethnos needs logos. Right. If you just have an ethnic neighborhood and everybody's watching television, it's they're all or, or whatever it is now, right. you're all going to end up uh, hating each other, and you're all going to be fighting each other, and you're all going to be clawing your way up the greasy pole of ambition, trying to buy more and more so you can get your way out of the neighborhood and live by yourself in the suburbs. That's the type of consciousness you have to fight because it's anti-Catholic. Thank you. Um, one last question here, Dr. Jones. Um, somebody asked, do you see a connection between uh, sodomy and mask enforcement? It seems like there's a, uh, like they sodomy feel, and mask <laughs> it seems like they feel deputized mm-hmm. to enforce the mandate. Somebody asked. Uh, all, only in the sense that we're talking about preferred behaviors. Mm-hmm. So the, the homosexual, I wrote a talk on this about 20 years ago about why the homosexual is the ideal citizen. The government is promoting the homosexual uh, because it fits in with the oligarchs view of the world. So they don't have children. Uh, they're controlled by their passions. They're easy to manipulate uh, and all of these things. Uh, mask is uh, the mask is a sign that you're going along with this COVID uh, uh, charade. Right. There is a, I think there is a, a virus out there. I think I got it. Uh, it was like yeah. a bad cold. Uh, I got over it in a couple of days and now I'm immune. So why, what, what difference does the mask make now? Everyone's waiting for this to be shut down. Everyone's waiting for a representative government to take control and take the reins of power out of the hands of Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci. Nobody elected these people. Uh, and they are running the country now. And at a certain point, we're all going to have to get together and say, we're not going to take it anymore. Okay. We're just going to go about our business. We're not going to be run in fear. That's, that's the only connection that I can see. They're both forms of control. Yeah. Uh, and, and nobody can see them as such. Although I think a lot of people are starting to see the COVID thing. It's becoming more and more obvious that that's simply a form of control. And if you wear the mask, you're showing that you're a, being a good, you're following the regime's instructions and therefore you're a good person and the other people are bad people. And uh, it, that's the type of uh, mentality it's supposed to generate. But I think people are just getting tired of it. At a certain point, look, the fundamental crisis right now is representative government. Do we have representative government or do the people just take money from rich source of donors and then do their bidding as soon as they get people to pull the lever and put them in office? That's a worldwide crisis right now. Something we got to deal with. Well, thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you so much for your time and, and uh, uh, blessing here the show. My audience is a huge fan and, and there's probably guys who haven't heard of you uh, and hopefully this will 
make them go down the E. Michael Jones rabbit hole. It's a good rabbit hole. I assure you go guys. Culturewars.com. You'll get to see all my books are available on culturewars.com. Right. And Logos Rising is your newest book. Latest uh, book, yes. And uh, it seems to me like everything's been culminating towards that book. In my life, certainly. Yes, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, uh, I, I, I'm i going to order it. I'm going to have to read it. And I'm going to have to bring you back. And uh, hopefully we can expand on on everything you touch on there. That's right. I'd be happy to do that. I'm, I'm working on barren metal. It's quite a, a beefy. Book. God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> I should give out gold stars for people who can read Byron Metal. <laughs> I have it right here. It's, it's a beefy book. There's a lot to digest in it, but uh, yeah. I'm working on it. Well, thank yeah. you, Dr. Jones. Uh, God bless you as well. And uh, I hope you have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Peace. Lagrimiar de las Cumaraguas está cubriendo toda mi tierra, piden la vida y le dan un siglo, pero con tal que no pase nada en mi tierra mansa, mi mansa tierra. Yo sé que un día tuviste sueños. Viste un río cuando pequeño, pero tu alma se te alegraba con la llegada del vendaval. Huellas cansadas tienen tus pasos, pero aunque el río sea muy manso, poquito a poco se enfrenta al mar. Vuelve tu canto de tu rupial, llena de gritos el cardonal. Hay semerucos allá en el cerro y un canto hermoso para cantar. Que semerucos allá en el cerro y ya la gente empezó a sembrar. A veces pienso que todo el pueblo es un muchacho que va corriendo tras la esperanza que se le va. La sangre joven y el sueño viejo, pero dejando de ser pendejo, esa esperanza será verdad. Vuelve a tu canto de tu rupial, llena de gritos el cardonal. Y hay semerucos allá en el cerro y un canto hermoso para cantar. Que semerucos allá en el cerro y ya la gente empezó a sembrar. Vuelve a tu canto de tu rupial, que el pueblo manso ya escondarás. Vuelve a tu canto de tu rupial, llena de gritos el cardonal. Vuelve a tu canto de tu rupial, los zapamates ya se vistieron. Como en Juárez, manos nazarenos, dulce mejilla la de mi pueblo, ya la segunda le está doliendo a mi pueblo manso. Mi manso pueblo vuelve a tu canto de tu rupial, llena de gritos el cardonal. Que hay semerucos hoy en el cerro y un canto hermoso para cantar. Que hay semerucos hoy en el cerro. La gente empezó a sembrar. Sol colorado, viento del este, se abren los brazos del gran durmiente, que al chivo manso siempre barrean, que es 
solo pasas y montarás que el chivo manso siempre lo arrean, y eso no pasa si es montarás, vuelve en tu canto de turpiel, que el pueblo manso ya es montarás, vuelve en tu canto de turpiel, que el pueblo manso ya...